This podcast is made possible by thousands of dedicated listeners just like you. Be a part of this powerful three-decade legacy of evangelization by visiting materdayradio.com or downloading the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for joining us on the bridge between your faith and everyday life. Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd. I'm Dina Marie Hale, and with me today is Bishop Peter Smith. It's always great to have Bishop Smith join us for an episode of The Voice of the Shepherd, particularly during the Lenten journey. Welcome back, Bishop Smith. Thank you, Dina Marie, and it's good to be back with you and all those who are listeners on Monterey Radio. It's good to be with you all. It is the Lenten journey, and I thought part of our discussion today, if we could talk a little bit about the catechumens, this process of men and women who are coming in and they're preparing to receive the sacraments, baptism, confirmation, First Holy Communion, and for others, confirmation and receiving the Eucharist in the Catholic Church. This is like the final few weeks of their formation, of their preparation. They've had sponsors. They've had a team team leaders kind of helping them along the way, but maybe give us a little bit of a sense of this this right of election, this right of acceptance, this right of, of people desiring to come into full communion with the Catholic Church. Yes, this is in a sense the final the, the final lap or the, the, the last straight of the race, so to mm-hmm. speak, uh, when you get into Lent uh, with a view towards the Easter Vigil. So the pace picks up, and the church has a whole variety of things that happen for the catechumens. There are also candidates involved. Uh, the, the difference is catechumens are people who are not baptized. So they're, they're coming into the church in its fullness, so they receive baptism confirmation in the Eucharist. In the candidates, those are people who have at least received baptism and are looking for the other sacraments in full communion. And occasionally we have somebody from a church that has all of that that's uh, accepted by the Catholic Church, and they just make a profession of faith. So in this part of the world, at least half or more are catechumens, which is unusual. I mm-hmm. ex- haven't seen that in other parts of the country. So the, the journey begins in the, in the fall when people then inquire, and then once they're accepted, there's a rite of acceptance that happens in the parish. And there are a variety of things that happen. They begin their formation and go through their formation. And then on the the first Sunday of Lent, we have the rite of sending in the parish and then the rite of election at the cathedral or other designated parishes. And so that's the acceptance into the final stage of the journey um, for these these people, these these, uh, candidates and catechumens. So... It can be real interesting. One year I was covering St. Henry's on the first uh, Sunday of Lent, and so I did the the rite of sending in the parish, and two and a half hours later I was leading the rite of election at the cathedral. So I sent them out, and then I'm receiving them on behalf of the church. So in the rite of election what happens is 
the names are read, and then uh, the book is presented, and the bishop signs the book of all those who are, are catechumens who are coming to full communion of the church. And then there's a second group that they're also um, that we recognize are those who are candidates for full communion. Their names are read. Blessings are prayed over both groups as we move forward in our life of faith. So this is the beginning of the last lap, so to speak. So you start with the rite of sending and the rite of election. And then during the Sundays of Lent, third, fourth, and fifth Sunday, you have the three scrutinies. Um, so some of us who are older might remember the reading of the bands of marriage, mm. which happened way, way back where, when in, in a day and age like today where you don't have the, the social media and people knowing about everything, for three weeks in a row they would mention that John and Mary are t- intending to get married. Does anyone have any, anything they have to say about that now, in order to surface if there are any problems? Um, we don't do that anymore. But in a sense, it, it's like there's three, three tests, so the three different scrutinies. So you're, you're going through these three steps to prepare yourself for Holy Week and all the celebration of Holy Week and then um, coming into the church at the Easter Vigil. So that's not the only time we can bring people into the church. You, the, right. you can bring people into the church whenever the, the person preparing them, the pastor or priest, is satisfied that they have been adequately prepared and that they are ready. But for us as Catholics in this country, the Easter Vigil tends to be the, the main time that that happens. Pentecost is another time when we do that. And as we look at that rite of election, there is a particular role that the bishop plays in um, recognizing these individuals who desire to come in full communion. Give us a sense of just that that particular role that the bishop plays as these people are coming and desiring to come into the church. Yeah, it's a formal recognition of that these people are seeking and are at this point of their journey. So it's one of those things where it's, to use a similar analogy, when you are engaged and close to being married, you know, it's, okay, now we're moving down the road. That doesn't mean that people can't say at some point, you know, I'm not sure about this yet. I need to take a little more time. But it's a formal recognition that, that those who have come to this point in the process, now we're, we're, we are in the final preparations for them. And the recognition comes when their names are read mm-hmm. um, at, the, at the church or the cathedral, and they are formally recognized. Uh, they, for the catechumens, they bring the, the book of the elect forward, and the bishop will sign that. And then there's a, a set of questions and then a prayer of blessing over all the people. Right. And it, it, I think for me, just being at one of these rites of election uh, in the Archdiocese of Seattle to see, we really played up. You have an opportunity to meet the bishop. I mean, because this is a different interaction. This is, will be your spiritual father. We look to the local parish priest, the pastor who's at your local parish. But there's something special and unique about that relationship that one will have with the bishop of our diocese or archdiocese. Yes, from that perspective, it's an opportunity uh, for the pastors as well, as well as these new people to make that connection, and for for the bishop or bishops to get out and to meet people in these different places. So because if you look at it, they they come into the church and their local parish with the pastor, not with the bishop. 
but this is an opportunity for that, yeah. Yeah. And as you've been able to do some of these, Bishop Smith, you're going to different parts of the Archdiocese. Obviously, we're, we're from Portland all the way to Astoria and Brookings. So there's a lot of territory for you and Archbishop Sample to cover. But what do you see in these, these people who are coming, uh, their sponsors, the people that are helping form them? Uh, for me, it looks like such hope for the church when maybe the headlines would say otherwise. Yeah, it's... People come and join the church for a whole variety of reasons and motives. So it's individual because their lives, each person's life is unique and how God is working in them. So you have people who are joining the church because their husband or wife are Catholic and they want to have a unity of faith. You have others that have had some sort of conversion experience, and this is where the Holy Spirit has led them. You have others that there's something about the Catholic Church they join the Catholic Church because the Catholic Church will stand up for things that they don't see other churches doing. So it's a whole combination of things that goes on with all of that as to why they're on this particular journey. And it's the recognition is that God works in so many different ways with all, all the folks that are there. In terms of, of the number of, of rites of election, I think we do five on Sunday, the first Sunday of Lent. Uh, we we did have one on Saturday evening, but it was very poorly attended. So, for whatever reason, so we just went to Sunday. So the Archbishop likes the ones downstate because that's an opportunity for him uh, to go downstate and meet people and so on. So depending on where it is, you'll have one in Southern Oregon, one in Central Oregon, and then while that's going on, there's two at the cathedral, and then on Sunday night there's another one at the cathedral. That's mm-hmm. the one that has a huge number of people at. Unfortunately, the statistics are that not everyone who, who mm-hmm. uh, comes into the church through the RCA at the Easter Vigil remains. And I think part of it is because people, they've, they're in this little tightness group or community joining the church. Now you're in the church and it's okay. You don't have that same weekly meeting, that same little community that you're part of, and it's now become part of the parish as you go along. We can do a much better job with that, to be honest. Yeah. And we just recently, with Archbishop Alexander Sample, talked about this importance of home groups, these prayer groups, these communities that, whether they meet regularly on a weekly, maybe a couple of times a a month or a monthly basis, we need those smaller communities in addition to the large parish on Sunday— like you said, to keep us going. Have you had experiences where you see where that's really rich and helps to keep people connected to one another and the sacraments? Yeah, small groups are essential. If you have a small group, that's where you find the basis of your friendships in the, in the faith community, is in these small groups. When, you, when you're in a much larger setting with people attending mass or sacraments, you don't have that same connection. Um, that may be a wonderful experience for you, but if you have those friendships, those connections on a, on a local basis with a small group of people where you share your life of faith and the rest of your life as well, that, that cements that much more. It's very interesting to me that you see all these, these people can be very lonely in large groups of people tightly packed together. Right. Right. We really do need, and we started in the family unit, and so that that really helps us to to build trust, to build relationships, and then I can live my faith, maybe with more confidence, 
<laughs> with that. Well, I know of parishes here where they started small groups way back when, sometimes 20-plus years yeah. ago as part of perhaps a Lantern Project or something like that, where these groups have endured. And 20-plus years later, these people have become friends, and they share their lives, they share their faith, they get together not necessarily every week, but at least every other week or mm-hmm. maybe once a month or something like that. But they keep up those relationships. And so that that sort of concretizes in a very practical, local way all those other things that are, that they experience in a much broader uh, area of their lives. That's right. We're talking with Bishop Peter Smith on The Voice of the Shepherd during this Lenten season. And as you mentioned, uh, Bishop Smith, the scrutinies come. And so I think there are options to what gospel will read for those three Sundays. But if you get the chance, these are longer readings, but very rich readings. Give us a sense as we quickly, maybe not quickly, but we move closer and closer to Palm Sunday, that there's more and more encounters with Jesus, there's healings, there's there's this rich sense of messages in the church. What are some of these scrutinies and, and what can we glean from some of these gospel readings? Well, the, the uh, scrutinies are based on, the, at least up till now, have been based on the cycle A readings, which, if you're the pastor, makes life a little difficult for you because now <laughs> if you have four masses, you know, one on Saturday and three on Sunday, you have one Sunday mass where we have the scrutiny. So if it's year B or C, you've got two homilies to prepare for those mm. Sundays. So it, it can, can get a little, uh, little extra work. Uh, for some of us, but uh, that's how it's based. Uh, uh, there is a revised version of the Right for Christian Initiation of Adults coming out in the future. It's very close. It's called the OCI, Order mm-hmm. for Christian Initiation of Adults. So there will be some changes in that, but this is uh, the, the, the scrutinies are meant to highlight people. You're getting closer and closer, and this is this is working, you're approaching the final goal. So Bishop, give us a sense of, we'll hear, we'll actually encounter some people during these these readings. I think about the woman at the well, uh, do we meet Lazarus? Uh, And we meet a blind man. These are very intense encounters that I think with people who are coming into the church or maybe those of us who are preparing for Easter again, how do we encounter Jesus? Who is Jesus to us? Is he the one that brings us true hope and true healing? Yeah, the church holds these up in this encounter with Jesus because the heart of the church is Jesus. It's the revelation of Jesus and Jesus' call to us to come follow him. And if we don't have that relationship with Jesus at the basic core and foundation of our faith— then our faith ultimately just becomes a, a set of principles, a set of uh, beliefs, a set of understandings that we have that we live our life. But that'll only get us so far. So the the relationship with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, personal relationship, however that works in our lives, needs to be there. It's like an example of um, uh, being married. If you need to have a loving relationship with your spouse, that's real. If it isn't, if it's just functional, that's not going to go very far. And so for us, as people of faith, we have to have that vibrant, as the Archdiocese says, a life-giving, ongoing, transformative relationship with God. Yeah. We have to have that in our life in some way 
uh, just as we have to have a loving relationship with our spouse and marriage that animates all that follows. And all these other things build on top of that. But if you build all those other things on top of that and this isn't there, then that that's not nearly as, as sure of a uh, life of faith as if it is, mm-hmm. if that relationship with Christ is present under right. the, the foundation of it. Right, right. Let's talk a little bit about really the message in Lent is the cross. I mean, we hear, follow me, take up your cross. Uh, we don't need to go make up our own crosses. But what is this mystery of the cross that we really focus on with these 40 days in the Lenten journey? Well, the 40 days are a preparation and a special preparation for the celebration of the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And now we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday when we yeah. celebrate Mass, so in a particular way. So that's why Sundays are not part of Lent. So the cross is its this anomaly whereby Jesus says, unless a grain of, fall, of a grain of wheat fall to the ground and die, it cannot be life. So in a sense, Jesus lives that out. So he, he dies on the cross, but the cross becomes our freedom because humanity is separated from God by a chasm which we cannot bridge. And that chasm comes about because our first parents were deceived by the evil one and chose to live contrary to God, at least in some part, some decisions that they made. So God gives us this radical freedom. We choose to misuse that, and that separates us from God. And we cannot bridge that gap. So the second person of the Trinity comes in human form, Jesus Christ, the incarnation, and he lives among us and he gives his life on the cross to bridge that gap and to reconcile us with the Trinity. And so this is part of why the cross, the crucifix, has become this, the emblem and the symbol of Christians, and at least in the last number of centuries. This is, we recognize that Jesus did what we could not do to give us which, that which we could not obtain on our own. Mm-hmm. We have the tradition of um, making the stations of the cross what are some of the ways in which we can learn about ourselves, learn about Christ when we do make the Stations of the Cross, when we really spend time pondering those steps in Calvary and following Jesus? Um, what should we glean and take from that and incorporate in our own lives? The most important thing I would say is the love of God through a, for us as evidenced in the life and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Jesus went through all of this out of love for you and I and everyone who's ever lived. Jesus went through this so that we could be reconciled with God and have eternal life with him. So it's the love of Christ. So when we ponder these things, it's not just a discipline, but it's meant to deepen our love of, love for, relationship with, and appreciation for all that Christ has done for us. The Stations of the Cross came about because of initially what would happen is pilgrims would go to the Holy Land and they'd walk through Jerusalem and they'd stop at these different places which then became called stations and they'd pray these prayers remembering Jesus' passion and death. So they would stop at these places and pray those prayers. Now, at at some point, the, the Holy Land got occupied by the Saracens Um, other Muslim groups, and that was not permitted uh, for pilgrims to come. 
So the Stations of the Cross developed as a way in our churches all over the world we could do those same stations mm-hmm. even though we weren't in the Holy Land, but we remember the journey of Christ from his passion all the way through to his death. Typically that happens on Fridays in, in Lent as when we do the Stations of the Cross right. because we're reminded we're gearing up for Holy Week and what happens in Holy Week. Mm-hmm. And as we think about the Stations of the Cross, there's that moment of, well, right before we hit the Triduum, Palm Sunday. And so we know that Jesus is, we know the story, but the disciples didn't know that story. But all of a sudden, Jesus is entering Jerusalem, uh, and there are palms that are, are thrown at his feet, and there's these hosannas, and yet not too many moments later, they will be shouting, crucify him. Take us to this transition point, which I think is Palm Sunday. When we enter into the church, things are a little bit different. The readings, in fact, we have an extra reading before Mass officially begins. There's this real turning point of where we're going with Christ on his road to Calvary and ultimately to freedom in the resurrection. Palm Sunday, if we do the formal solemn uh, uh, ritual, as we begin at the beginning of the church— we bless the palms, and then we have this, the solemn reading of the gospel of Jesus entering Jerusalem, and then we proceed into the church. Uh, the people in Jerusalem welcomed Jesus because they thought he was coming as a victorious king, but Jesus didn't enter that way. He entered riding a donkey, which is the exact opposite of a king coming in on a war horse with all his soldiers. So despite what the people were saying, Jesus was reflecting something very different, and what becomes clear to them is this isn't the kind of king we were looking for. Mm-hmm. You know, and, how, and it's, a, it's a reminder how fickle people can be in these situations. And that's what we see on Good Friday when it's crucify him, crucify him. So you have this, this big shift. But in Holy Week, we begin Jesus' triumphal entry. And then it's interesting because on that Sunday, what do we read? The Passion. So we have, depending on whether it's year A, B, or C, we'll have Matthew, Mark, or Luke's account of the Passion. So Jesus' triumphal entry is there, but at the same time we're reminded of what will be happening a few days later. So that's the sort of shift. Now we begin what we call Holy Week and all the great celebrations of Holy Week. And we have all the record of all of those because of a woman named Egeria who went to the Holy Land in about the third or fourth century and kept a diary of all the celebrations mm. in Jerusalem. And because of that diary, we have, it's like, this is a gold mine liturgically because we have, now we have a record of what it was like in the early church. But that week, it starts with Palm Sunday. So Palm Sunday is the beginning of what we call Holy Week, and it goes all the way through to Easter Sunday and the celebration of the resurrection of the Lord. There's a whole bunch of things that happen in between mm-hmm. as well. Right. So we obviously have the Chrism Mass. We have uh, the Mass of the Last Supper on Holy Thursday, the service of the cross on Good Friday, the Easter Vigil on Holy Saturday, and then uh, Easter Sunday with the full Resurrection Mass. 
Right. And with just a few moments that we have, let's just talk a little bit about the Chrism Mass and just the role of the bishop, because one, this is one of the most beautiful Masses. I hope people will will go to the cathedral because you see so many of our priests who come, many who travel, many hours who live in other parts of our archdiocese to come. But there's a particular uh, relationship that we get to see unfold between the priest and the bishop, uh, but also of kind of getting us ready for the sacraments with that preparation of the oils. Yeah, the Chrism Mass, there's, there's two occasions where you see most of the priests together during the year, at least in this archdiocese. Right. One is the Chrism Mass, and the second is the priest's uh, convocation. But at the Chrism Mass, the Chrism Mass is the blessing of the three oils that will be used for the rest of the church year. So it's the oil of the catechumens that we use as part of the RCA process, the oil of the infirm that we use for the anointing of the sick, and then the, the chrism, sacred chrism, that we use also in baptisms, confirmations, uh, ordinations, and in dedication of a church or an altar. So we have these three oils that are blessed during that mass, and then afterwards oils, the, the new oils are distributed to the parishes for use in the Easter season and through the year ahead. So that's essentially what happens at that chrism mass. But there's another element to it. There is also an element where the priests are asked to recommit themselves to their call to be priests uh, to serve the people of God. So that, that's another element that happens in the midst of, midst of the chrism mass. Right. And that they, I, I, what I really touches me is that reminder of obedience and that vow of obedience that the priests have it's a little reminder, this is part of my call or my vocation. Same thing in married life, right? We're, we're to obey one another, right? Yes. Uh, the, way, the way we live it out today is a more, more of a collaborative uh, approach to it, and it's lived, lived out more, more or less effectively depending on the person in the situation. Right. But that is a reminder that there's a moment when we are ordained as priests where the ordaining Bishop will say, do you promise respect and obedience to me and or in my successes? Or do you promise respect and obedience to your superior and their successes? So you give this promise, and it's very interesting because you hold your hands joined together in the formal prayer with the fingers outstretched, and the ordaining bishop will put his hands on either side of that. And that's the gesture where mm. you bind yourself to, to, to this. So that happens in all of our ordinations, and it's a reminder uh, for us of all of this that we are, we are no longer our own. When a man is ordained a priest, uh, just as you know, when, when people get married or people make a religious commitment, right. but in a particular way you're reminded you are no longer your own. You do not have complete self-determination of your life. You have entered into this relationship where you have pledged your life to the service of others. And this is a very, very serious commitment. And this is one way we remind ourselves of those commitments. Mm. Well, the Lenten journey continues, and we'll continue to pray for our bishops, for our priests, and for all people, particularly our catechumens who are preparing this year to receive all of the sacraments. And with that, Bishop Smith, I just want to thank you for spending some time with us today. Would you help us close with a final blessing, please? Certainly. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. 
Lord, as we continue this Lenten journey, we just ask that all the blessings and grace of Lent would come upon all all of us who have faith in you, Lord. Deepen our faith. Help us to know you more deeply. Help us to serve you more strongly. Help us to be your witnesses more brightly in this world. And may you bless all of us now. And we ask this all in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. And thank you all for joining us on this edition of The Voice of the Shepherd. For Bishop Smith, I'm Dina Marie Hale. Until our next encounter, may you have a blessed day and a blessed Lenten season. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample, a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider sharing it with a friend. You can support this vital mission of evangelization through materdayradio.com or the Hail Mary media app. And thank you for helping us lead souls to Jesus through the Blessed Virgin Mary.